0: episode 64 of The Route presented by Jobs in Sports. The Route is a glorified sports business coffee chat that has a new guest every episode as they share their experiences and route in sports. I'm Christopher Nascimento and let's get going. On today's episode we have an amazing guest who's actually an executive in the NHL so you know as I said in every episode, I always try to get different people from different backgrounds, perspectives, etc. And it's always great to get someone from the top, right? So um, today's episode is with a Senior Vice President of the Nashville Predators. So that's going to be very interesting as, you know, he, he was there in the beginning and he touches on how he was there uh, when when he was just selling tickets at, at the mall. So very cool story and interesting to hear how, you know, um, expansion teams went about in, in the 90s and you know, maybe we can kind of compare it to the teams now, right? With the, with the Seattle Kraken, the NHL, um, joining the league in, a, in, the, in the very short term. So, very cool stuff. Uh, and a great guest as well, which uh, I really appreciated. Had some tech, technical difficulties, but he came back and, you know, recorded a second one with me. So, I really appreciate that. Matt, thank, thanks for doing that. Um, and before we get into today's episode, just a few things, as always, to cover. Firstly... If you haven't already subscribed or follow the podcast depending on the platform they're on please just take a few seconds to do so now it's a big help and beyond that if you haven't already left a I believe a rating on Apple Podcasts, if that's what you're listening on or even on the other platforms please rate five stars because uh, the better the rating the more discoverable it is to, to other listeners easy the more discover, the more easily discoverable it is, the more gifts we can get, et cetera, et cetera. It's a snowball effect. So, just take a few seconds, to do that now. Thank you. And uh, yeah, so that's one of the main things. Also, follow us on social media at the Route Sports. That's you know Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn's uh, I think the biggest one. That's gonna be it's not the biggest one, but it's the one I think that gets um, the most traction and is gonna slowly grow and grow. So that's pretty exciting and um what else is there i think that's about it um pretty cool time especially with um you know the predators were in in the playoffs recently so um we recorded this episode before then but um regardless still pretty relevant stuff and uh yeah hopefully we can uh answer some questions that you may have about what it's like to be executive in sports so let's get to it I'd now like to welcome someone who has been with the Nashville Predators since the start and has climbed through their ticketing ranks from being an account manager in 1997 to now being the club's Senior Vice President of Ticket, Premium, and Youth Hockey. Nat Harden, welcome to The Route. How's it going? Real well. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining us today. Um, The way I like to start every podcast is by asking every single guest the same question. and that's what the whole podcast about is take us through your route. So how did it begin and how did we get here today?
1: Uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a unconventional way. I guess I, I grew up in Texas and Mississippi, uh, not, not watching hockey or or knowing anything really about hockey. I grew up playing baseball. Um, I went to Mississippi state university as a business major and, and played baseball at Mississippi state, uh, was a pitcher there. And, um, as I went through through college, um, I wanted to somehow marry up my business degree uh, with you know, my love for sports. Uh, and so when I graduated, um, it was in '96, and the NHL was expanding uh, at that time. and Nashville uh, had a conditional team, and the condition was, that they had to sell 12,000 season tickets to, to get the team to Nashville. So um, I got an opportunity, a uh, very entry-level opportunity. It was actually a temporary position where I was selling tickets uh, at a kiosk in um, Brentwood, which is about 20 to 30 minutes south of downtown Nashville. Uh, so I was there eight hours a day um, trying to sell season tickets to help us hit that 12,000 season ticket goal. Uh, during the holiday months, I started in November and ended in uh, late January. And during that time, you know, I I didn't sell one ticket. Uh, But what I did was, and it was pretty smart looking back on it is, you know, I I didn't want them to forget about me. So I would come in the office in my off time, seeing how I could help or if there's anything I could do, just trying to get my foot in the door like a lot of people do when they try to get in this industry. And so when that time was up, they brought me in and, you know, gave me a phone book and a phone and told me to start making phone calls. And so that's really how, how I launched my career. We were fortunate enough, obviously, to sell the 12,000 season tickets. Uh, and um, I've been here now, I guess it's going on 24 years.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's completely amazing. And there's definitely some a few questions I want to ask just right from the get go there. Um, I guess maybe a big question that a lot of people listening as you know it's a lot of sports business students or you know young professionals who are in their late 20s early 30s how did you come across the job initially because that's probably something a lot of people are trying to figure out
1: well you know like anything it's it's really who you know and Mm -hmm. um the part of the story I did leave out was I had a friend uh when I was at Mississippi State that uh was at Vanderbilt and he had gotten a job with the Nashville sounds, which is our triple a baseball team here in Nashville. And I got an internship with the sounds and met somebody with the sounds. that got, uh, a position with the predators selling tickets, introduced me to the right person. And, um, and that's how I got that, um, entry level gig. So it's really, you know, for, for people out there listening to it, you know, um, you know, creating a wide network of people uh, that you know is, you know, critically important because a lot of times it's, you know, being in the right place at the right time and knowing the right person that will land you that job that you're looking for. And and so you want to make sure that you create a wide network to be able to to get those opportunities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That, that makes a lot of sense. And then kind of building on that, I think you briefly touched on how you know, even though you weren't able to sell um, any tickets when you're at the mall kiosk for those three months, you still tried to make an impression and um, you didn't want them to forget about you. So what kind of things did you do to to make that impression count?
1: Well, I, you know, more than anything, you know, I wanted to um, let the people know that, you know, I was here to work uh, and I would do, you know, just about anything if it if it helped the organization, whether it's you know, standing in a mall trying to sell tickets, whether it's, uh, you know, taking the trash out or what, whatever that they needed me to do, you know, I was here to help uh, and, and, you know, be supportive. And so, um, and really that doesn't change from, you know, trying to get a job to uh, when you're working for a professional organization, you always, you know, want to look at the bigger mission of, of the organization and figure out how you can help the organization receive, you know, achieve that goal. So um, that's kind of been my philosophy all the way along. And, and when you do that over time, people will give you more responsibility and trust you with more things. And um, you know, that's how you, you advance within an organization.
0: Yeah, for sure. And that's pretty interesting. that because obviously now we're in, um interesting times I guess you could say where there's not that many sports jobs and now more than ever um you know professional teams when they're looking to hire someone they're going to want people that are you know multifaceted but at the same time I know I've had a number of conversations with maybe students or you know other people that are my age you know looking to you know maybe further their career but it seems though there's almost a wall at some point with people where they say oh I'm not going to do that I don't want to do you know the quote-unquote Dirty work, right? Whether it's like you're saying, you were, you said you're willing to take out the trash, do whatever that's needed, but um, I think that's oftentimes where it kind of separates people, right? Where you can see who really wants it more and who actually cares about it, right? And don't and doesn't just see this as a nine to five job.
1: No, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. And I mean, you know, you're you're in Ottawa, and you know, I'm in Tennessee, and you know, I'm o- I'm overseeing youth hockey for our organization. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't even know how to skate. <laughs> uh, but but what I do know how to do is, and what I've learned is uh, promotion and sales, uh, and also um, giving you know people that do know how to skate and do then that do know how to um, uh, teach kids the game, giving them the you know the ability to be able to have. Um, the flexibility to do that, they're, that their best ability and me not micromanaging it and that them knowing that they're the experts in and, and that area and being able to give them the resources to accomplish their goals. So, um, so you know, I guess to your to your point, um, you always want to make sure that you're open to any and all opportunities if you're in this industry. And if given an opportunity, you want to find out where you best fit in and how you can help contribute. And uh, if, if you fall short in one area, me skating, you, you <laughs> hire good people to be able to, to do that, make, do, play that role.
0: Yeah, that's an amazing example that you just, you know, from what you pr- previously said about how, you know, you're willing to do anything. and You know, like, you're, like I was saying in the title throughout your intro, right, where you're also in charge of um, youth hockey and even though you can't skate that's a big part of promotion probably selling tickets and teaching the game to to that market so um, that kind of leads me to my next question is what kind of things are you doing beyond maybe you talking maybe we can get into that as well but to kind of further the game or how did you guys do it initially maybe is a great way to start
1: yeah so when we when we first came to Nashville you know the philosophy was that we want to educate uh, Tennesseans on the game. We knew the game was fast, and you have some of the best athletes in the world playing it. Uh, so we needed to educate people on the rules. And then nothing sells hockey like being at a being at a hockey game. No billboard or TV commercial is going to sell it like like being here. So uh, the first thing we did was we got out in the community, did a lot of hockey 101s, and and educated people on the game. And then we, we got them to the games, and when we got them to the games, we we made sure that we had headphones that people could pick up and put them on, and we would explain the rules as things happened throughout the game. So, for example, if there was an icing in the game, somebody would come on the headphones and explain what icing meant. And so we had this whole educational process uh, thing in place to make sure that people understood the rules. And we knew when they understood the rules that they would appreciate the skill and athleticism that the players provided and, and they would be hooked. Um, so uh, that, that worked. And, um, you know, 10 to 15 years later, you know, I would turn on the radio and you would hear people talking about the power play and making, making suggestions on how we could have a better power play Uh, so, so people really in, in Tennessee have, have taken to the game, uh, the athletes, uh, the type of players we have in our league and, um, and, and they love it here. We've, we've sold out over 180 consecutive games here in Nashville. And, you know, 20 years ago, nobody would have thought that we would have been able to, to do those kind of numbers. And, and I think the credit is, really goes to, um, you know, the 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 type of game hockey is and um, the type of skill that the guys uh, put on the ice and really how passionate our fans are towards our organization.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, even being here in Canada, right? Completely different um, fan base, I can say. But... I know whether it's watching hockey games or listening to sports radio, or even reading articles, they always talk about Nashville, even in Canada, about how it really has changed, where it seems like there's a, a huge energy when people go into the games, and it's one of those stadiums that you have to, to go um, take in a game or how it's one of those marquee markets now for free agents. So definitely see the what, was, what has been built since you've been there. But w- yeah, within yeah. that, you, you also just mentioned how – in the last, in the first ten to fifteen years, you're able to see that that educational growth, where before people were learning about icings, and then eventually, you know, ten to fifteen years later, you're on you're listening to radios and they're talking about you know how to adjust the power play, as you said. What other things have shifted since the beginning, right? Because you you've been there since the start. So now that you guys have already maybe educated the, the market a bit better, where are you now focusing your efforts since it's a little more established?
1: Yeah. So the, the, I would say the biggest thing that sticks out is just the attachment with our players as any expansion team, you know, your players aren't there that, that long. Uh, and you're trying to build through the draft, which we did. Um, and um, as we built through the draft, there's been a real connectivity between our players and the community. And a lot of it's the work that they do in the community. Um, And also, you know, just how they play the game and how they conduct themselves, you know, on and off the ice. So um, really the connectivity with the players and um, and everything about them. And, you know, it's not just our players, it's players around the league. You know, they're following um, guys that, you know, you're drafting in Ottawa and, um, you know, they're on the message boards and uh, starting you know, rumors and things like that, like every other market. So, uh, we didn't have that in the early years just because, you know, quite honestly, a lot of people uh, didn't know um, a whole lot about the league and the players itself. But as we drafted and uh, they seen them kind of grown through our system, there's been a strong uh, connection there.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I just, I guess, just going back to your, uh, your personal career route. So obviously, as I mentioned in the introduction, you've been able to climb the ranks with the Nashville Predators. Do you mind maybe sharing how you're able to kind of grow within and go from, you know, manager to director to VP and now, um, you know, senior vice president? What kind of things do you think really helped you achieve that?
1: Um, you know, I think, you know, the biggest thing if, if you're in an organization um, is, you um, the to try to understand you know what the organizational goals are and and how you can contribute to the organization achieving those goals um i love my job every morning i get up you know i'm excited to come to work uh when i'm not here i'm thinking about new innovative ideas things that we can do to try to drive more attendance or Um, increase buzz within the community, uh, on the team, or grow youth hockey. And um, uh, so uh, bringing new ideas to the table and not being afraid to um, try new things, uh, being open to doing new things, being supportive of uh, people that you work with, uh, not being afraid to give credit to someone else, um, being selfless, all of those things contribute to uh, being a good employee and 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 getting new opportunities. And, and when you get new opportunities, you want to make sure them to do, do them to the best of your ability, uh, and because the organization's entrusted you with uh, with that opportunity. And so, um, you know, I think people advance within organizations because they're willing to um, do things the right way and the organization continues to give more responsibility on employees that do things the right way. So um, there's no simple answer to it, but it's a mm-hmm. combination of all those things that I just said. And, um, and uh, I know as a, as a, as a manager, um, when I'm looking at employees, and I need somebody to do something. I, I'm giving it to the guy that I trust that's going to do it right.
0: Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And as you're kind of mentioning, yeah, mentioning that, you know, it's almost like a like a recipe, right? Where there's a bunch of different ingredients that you know makes the perfect dessert, I guess you could say. Um, I don't know if that's the best analogy, but I'll, I'll go with it. Um, but yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And clearly, you know, like in sports or specifically hockey you know the coach is gonna ask the guy who who he trusts the most to go on the ice and you know win the game for them and I guess maybe to just simplify it a bit more for maybe um, someone who's listening to this podcast maybe take some advice away from it let's say we're to go back 24 years 23 years ago when you first started with the Predators and you had an opportunity to talk to a younger version of yourself or maybe even someone who's starting off right now in the organization what would be the one thing out of you know, maybe all the things that you you shared that sticks out the most that you say, hey, focus on this and you know, it'll lead you in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I would say that the the one thing that I would one advice I would give myself or somebody young is to to not be afraid to take on new tasks. And when you do get that uh, task, view it as an opportunity to separate yourself from the people around you and do it to the best of your ability. Um, Oftentimes, you know, kids will look at specific jobs or specific things that you ask them to do, and they won't view it as an opportunity. They view it as uh, just something else that they have to do. uh, When, when in fact it is an opportunity for them to separate themselves from the people around them by the work that they do. And, and so that would be the one piece of advice how it pass along.
0: Yeah, th- that makes a lot of sense. It's almost like, um, I don't know, if you ask someone, hey, could you get this done for me by Thursday? It may not be the biggest task, but just if them being able to complete the task and have it done in a timely manner, I'm sure that's, hey, I can trust them to at least get it done, give it to me on time, and maybe I can give them something bigger next time.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And then I guess maybe diving into ticketing a bit more. That's obviously one of the major components of you know sports as a whole, right? Because that's one of the main revenue revenue drivers. What kind of things have changed with maybe technology or um, new opportunities over the years that uh, you've been able to implement uh, in your position?
1: Yeah, well, when we first started out, you know, uh, in you know the late '90s, you know, it was all paper tickets. Um, the secondary market was a a guy selling tickets on the side of the street. Uh, and, and now, you know, you've got, uh, mobile tickets, uh, the ability to transfer them to, uh, anyone and everyone, um, you've got huge secondary market sites to where, uh, it really is a, you know, big business buying and selling tickets, uh, whereas it wasn't that when I first started. So, uh, the whole landscape of of ticketing has changed quite a bit from, you know, how you price tickets or in the early days, you know, you would have one price, you would set it for uh, a game and that's what it would be. Now it's all fluctuates based on supply and demand, much like, you know, airline prices. Um, and, um, benefits that you offer season ticket holders uh now are, are much much more robust um than they used to be um and the whole premium areas that are offered now in arenas are um you know light years ahead of where they were uh 20 25 years ago from uh, event level clubs to where players walk through to um you know the suites uh, are much different today than they used to be and and things like that so um the sports industry as a whole has evolved quite a bit um and you know you know mostly for the for the better um and and you know i i think that it's it's a lot more interesting now than it used to be because of all the changes and i i imagine it will continue to change you know at just a tremendous rate over the next twenty years as it has in the in the past twenty years.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Um just as you're saying that, it was reminding me of uh an article I was reading for uh for this company I was looking at. And their whole business is around um basically AI technology for, you know, companies that do contact tracing or even um digital wallets, right? And I guess that's similar to digital tickets, right? Where you know, you can show up to a game now with your phone, have it scanned. And to to the fan, it just seems like, oh, this is easy. I don't need to carry around the paper. But I'm sure, as you know, there's a ton of information that's being provided to you, to you and the team now where you can maybe use that for pricing, correct? And maybe find different ways to offer different benefits, right, depending on their habits.
1: Yeah. And, you, you know, for example... One of the things that we do now um, that we didn't used to do is we've got a platform uh, called Smashville Rewards, and it's it's you know like a much like a uh, other rewards programs where you earn points throughout the year based on certain activities that you participate in as a season ticket holder. So, for example, if you go to a watch party at a sponsor location, you would earn points, or if you get to the game. Uh, a little bit earlier, you would earn points, things like that. And with those points, you can turn them in for, you know, season ticket branded merchandise or experiences like riding on a Zamboni. And all of this stuff is your at your choice as a season ticket holder. It's not, you know, the graph that, hey, I get these 10 things. You know, you've got 30 or 40 things to choose from based on these points you're earning, uh, and it also helps us promote certain behaviors within our season ticket base. So, you know, that's that's one example just from a benefit standpoint on, on how things have changed uh, uh, as a season ticket holder and, and in sports ticketing in general.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. And as you're mentioning that, I just remembered something from, you know, when I used to go to games, I, you know, I'd go to all the games and I always wanted to go, you know, pretty early on just to see the, the the warm-ups right just because maybe you get tossed to the puck or something but as the years gone on i noticed there's more and more people coming and then the reason was you know the centers were providing a promotion where i think it was games on thursdays if you got there before six o'clock so as you're mentioning getting to games early um i think coke and a hot dog were uh one dollar so the, the arena would almost be packed as everyone was eating dinner there and uh you know then after warm-up was done, you know, you still have people walking around for an hour cause there was nothing else to do. So then, you know, they're looking at the merchandise, looking at, um, you know, games coming up or other, uh, concessions. So I definitely see how that, that's changed over the years and sorry, if you're going to say something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, um, you know, it's just things like that. And, you know, as you know, technology improves and, new things come available. Um, you know, we here in Nashville, we want to look at all those things and and try to provide those things for our fans. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's all a part of it too. So, uh, whether it's Smashville rewards or the ease of mobile ticketing or, you know, the, the premium clubs that we provide, um, you know it really is all about you know providing that added value to the fan cuz we all know you know we can't control really what goes on on the ice you know when you're on the business side of things so we're constantly looking for things to provide our fans to to increase the value and things that we can control from the business side of things
0: yeah yeah that actually leads into my next question perfectly where um it's just the whole topic about, you know, additional value now where uh, I think when I was in university, I took a course on sports marketing. And one of the things they were talking about is, you know, now the modern day fan, they don't necessarily want to pay, I don't know, $100 for a ticket, show up, watch the game and leave. Right. They want to go for the atmosphere, the, the experience, the it's almost like a, you're competing with them with the movies or going out for dinner or any sort of thing like that, where it's their form of entertainment for that week. So one of the things I was asking is because I, I read an article on this is that do you find maybe the way um, stadiums will be set up for ticketing in the future will change where it will no longer be maybe an individual seat, but more of a a ticket to a section. Because I, I noticed some arenas are starting to, to remove seats and just have these. Um, I don't know if the right words would be club space, but It'd almost be like a balcony where people are sitting in the in the first bowl and, you know, there's a bar, there's food, there's lounge chairs, all those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I certainly see that being a shift. Um, and really, it's more for the younger generation because, you know, what we found through uh, different sur- surveys and research is, you know, that it's as uh, much a social activity and uh, being a part of the overall environment, uh, than having a great seat to the game. So if you can, uh, imagine creating common areas, uh, for, um, a younger demographic at a lower price point, uh, and just selling access to that space, you can oversell that space because you're not actually selling seats and you're also providing the opportunity for these, uh, uh, younger people to be be at the event, uh, be in a, a social environment, um, and it, it's a win win all the way all the way across. So um, a lot of baseball teams do it. Arenas are starting to do it now, and um, um, I love it just from the fact uh, that you know we're able to provide access at a lower price point, uh, which I think is incredibly important uh, as as ticket prices go up, making sure that you have something available at an affordable price.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting. And um, that, that made me wonder. So I know sometimes when I see like these arena setups, you see them take out these huge sections that would have had you know tons of seats um, and they're putting in these um, social areas, like you were saying. Would that mean, do you, would you expect attendance numbers to be higher because you can sell a larger amount of tickets at a lower cost? Or would it be um, a lower number of tickets being sold at a higher cost? Because it could be like an exclusive club section.
1: Well, what what I'm describing and in what, you know, a direction um, I could see us going here is creating common areas um, in our in our arena bowl. Um. You know, that maybe not taking out a section, but creating an area maybe above the, the 300 level to where, you know, it's a cool common area that people can, can gather and stand and watch the game, have access to different uh, food and beverage. Uh, and you would sell more um, tickets in that area than you would in a normal section. Um, and you could actually sell it in a way to where you're selling access to this space uh, over the course of a season. And, you know, if somebody chooses not to come, you know, it's not the end of the world because it was at a, you know, low price point per game anyway. And you you essentially oversell the section knowing that, you know, people will not come every single night uh, in that area. So, Uh, It's just a different way of looking at it. And it's, it's a way uh, to sell access at a lower price point. Um, Because, you know, I'm sure it's this way in Ottawa too. Um, A lot of companies buy tickets to lower bowl seats, um, which are at a higher price point. And really, you don't want to lose the enthusiasm of the everyday fan. You want to make sure Uh, that the hardcore fans have access to your building and that are in it. And that's the energy that that's provided throughout the building is from those fans. Uh, so you want to be able to provide a product that they can purchase and and come provide that energy for your team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, I just going on a tangent because there's so many just interesting things I wanted to pick your brain about, but something else that just kind of sparked my interest now is, you know, you're talking about the energy that, you know, everyday fan provides and you know that helps the atmosphere as well um i don't know specifically about nashville but do you find maybe there's some clubs that have um how would i word this correctly i wouldn't say a limit on how many corporate tickets they put out because i find at least here in canada when you look at a toronto maple leafs game even though they have a huge fan base it's it's a pretty dull environment because it's all you know corporate tickets right there's no like hardcore fans you know screaming with their jerseys but rather since ottawa has less corporate tickets and it's a cheaper ticket a lot of toronto fans end up just coming to to the senators games instead and that's where you actually get that crazy environment so i was just wondering um from your perspective do you find there's obviously if you have the opportunity to sell a ton of corporate tickets you would because that's more money coming in but what um how would you weigh that balance between corporate or keeping the the, the authentic environment?
1: Well, I, you know, I, I certainly think that, you know, one of the reputation, the, the reason why Nashville has kind of a reputation of a raucous environment is, you know, it's in the South, college football is big here. Uh, and so that, you know, and there's an environment from those sports that have carried over to to hockey and we have, you know, over 60% of the people that purchase our tickets are just Nashville predator fans. I mean, you know, they, they come to the games, they wear their gold, they love their team and they're going to be all in on the chance and, and rooting for us. And, and we're fortunate to have that. And one of the reasons why I think we do have that is because we've been very intentional on making sure that there are price points for everybody, every fan out there. Uh, and so if you're if you're a corporation, you know you've got your products that you can purchase, whether it's you know a suite, a tabletop glass seats, premium lower bowl seats, but as a it's an everyday fan. We've also got products for you too, that are affordable and and that you can come and um and and be a part of it as well. And that's something that we will you know always continue to do. Uh, so to answer your question, kind of a long winded answer, the way you manage that is to make sure that you provide pro- products that everyone can purchase. Okay. Um, and if you if you're only going to sell you know, high dollar tickets, you're going to, you, you're going to out, you know, you're going to price out the every, every day guy and, and it's going to hurt your environment.
0: Yeah, no, uh, that no problem with the long-winded answer. I, I loved it. Like I was just writing things down because I i am so interested in this, but uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense and not to nitpick at Toronto, but I think that's something that you can notice there where it's not necessarily a, a bucket list, um, stadium to go visit right where i know even like myself nashville is definitely a place i hope to to go to one day to see the the environment hopefully in the playoffs sometime soon but uh yeah no that definitely makes a lot of sense and i guess just to kind of maybe wrap up the interview a a bit more um i have two final questions that i typically ask every guest and i know you provided uh, advice throughout this whole episode but if we kind of maybe circle back whether it's life career or something you could have told yourself at, you know, 15, whether it's um, sports related or not, what's some advice that you would give?
1: Uh, you know what, uh, quite honestly, you know, I think it's anyone that um, is successful, you know, you, you don't turn off your job when you, when you leave uh, the office, you um, and you take everything serious seriously and you work extremely hard to be successful. But if I could, you know, speak to my self at 15, 16 years old or whatever um, to, you know, enjoy it a little bit more and take it a little bit less seriously. And the reason why I say that is because we work in sports entertainment. This is an outlet for people and, People, you know, come to your venues to have fun. And you know, I think the guys that are working there and selling the tickets and doing the promotion should have fun too. And um, I probably could have done a little bit better job of that uh, instead of you know worrying about you know everything that was going on, just taking a deep breath and just taking it all in. I mean, when we went to the finals in 2017, Uh, you know, after being here for, you know, 20 years, we finally make it to the finals and uh, it, you know, we were the eighth seed uh, and uh, we went on that run and it was phenomenal. And the whole city and state was behind us. And, you know, all of that was a blur because I was, you know, so involved in making sure that uh, things were going the right way and we were doing things the right way. And, and looking back, I, I wish I had taken a little bit more in, enjoyed it a little bit more.
0: Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense where I find it's a common theme with you know some of the guests I have on the podcast. When, uh, you know, I think a lot of times people, whether anything in life, we're always so focused on the end goal. But then sometimes the most fun part is just, you know, getting there, right? Kind of experiencing everything, learning, growing and, uh, you know, taking it all in. So that makes a lot of sense. And then. The final thing that I'd like to ask—obviously, you've had, you know, a great career and you've been part of, you know, the National Predators' history. So, I'm assuming, you know, one day when, hopefully, you're 100 and something, you're on your rocking chair looking back at your career. What's one story that you find just going to stick out and be like, "Wow, I can't believe I was able to to do that."
1: Well, I, you know, um, I think it's a it's a culmination of so many different things that's happened here. I mean, we, you know, there was a point that we were, um, in Nashville and the team was being rumored to be sold up in Canada in Hamilton and they were selling season tickets for our team in, in in Canada and it hadn't moved yet or it it hadn't even been sold yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so there was a lot of uncertainty around that to, you know, the the different work stoppages that um, we've had within the NHL to, you know, going on unbelievable runs and, and uh, uh, you know, winning the president's trophy, going to the Stanley Cup finals, uh, watching the fan base grow, watching youth hockey grow, um, in Nashville and uh, the rinks that have been built here and continue to be built here and, and kids participating, you know, when I, when I sit on that rocking chair, I'm going to look back at, you know, just the work as a whole over, over that period of time. And um, I think I'll appreciate, you know, um, where we've come from, you know, the days of, you know not being able to fill our building and and uh and the team almost being sold and 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 things like that have happened so um I think that's what I'll look back on
0: yeah I could only imagine what that would be like but no yeah this has been amazing and I can't believe it's already been 40 minutes I felt like time just flew by um yeah unless there's anything else that you'd like to share I just want to thank you again for coming on and you know providing some great insights and conversation as well.
1: Yeah, no, I, I certainly appreciate you having me and, um, uh, it's been a lot of fun and, uh, it has flown by. So, uh, we'd love to come back on again another time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll make that happen.
1: Okay. Take care.
0: That concludes today's episode. Um, thank you again to Nat for coming on the podcast. It was very much appreciated speaking with you and, Hopefully we can connect again soon, and yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed as well. If you if you want to connect with myself or not, just reach out to us on social media, and you know maybe I can make the connection, or you can set up a time to, to chat with myself as well. Um, beyond that, um, bum, 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 I don't think there's too much else. There we're gonna do um, a, a group of recordings in the very near future. So if you have any potential guests or type of positions you want to hear from, just uh, shoot us a message or even comment on a post and we'll see it and uh we'll we'll try to make that happen so i think other than that that, that's it for today's episode um hope you guys enjoyed and uh, see you next week have a good one